Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 130. We are recording on May 27th, and I'm Sharifa Williams here with guest and co-host of our very own HeyYA podcast, Erica Ezefedi, and we're going to talk about mystery in SFF. Hello, Erica. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sharifa. How are you? I'm happy to be here. You know... I appreciate you coming. It's like the season of, you know, vacations, which Mm. everybody should take. And I hope everybody out there is taking vacations this year. Um, But we are probably going to have a lot more guest shows in this season, which is, it's fun. It's nice to like, this is our first podcast together. Yeah. And I'm super excited to hear about some of your books and to talk about mystery. Mm. Because um, I know our listeners, we we talked about SFF Mystery a while back. And I know a lot of listeners really enjoyed that show. People love blending genres and mystery in particular is an exciting genre to blend with SFF. So I was really glad when you were excited about this genre. Do you read a lot of mystery? Yeah, I do. I feel like, yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite um, genres. And I do really love to like, um, like a historical mystery or like a SFF mystery or like, well, I yeah. guess or I guess more like a noir. Yeah. So I do like the genre blending and bending and all that. Yeah. Like yeah, I do too. And reading, I read one extra book for this uh podcast and it reminded me how much I love like whodunit style mysteries Mm -hmm. because I'm terrible at guessing but I think it's fun (laughs) anyway (laughs) I'll not be a detective ever in my life so (laughs) giving up it's fine yeah it's just the journey you know here for the journey not even necessarily the destination exactly Well, before we talk about our mystery picks, I am going to talk about the next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. 
This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, and we are back. And we're going to kick us off with some news. And I just wanted to start with one story I found which I think has been talked about for a little while. I know there were like some, you know, some side conversations about this like Dracula newsletter. And I was like, (laughs) what is going on? Like, is Dracula uh, the newsletter? Like, is it just about all things Dracula? And so um, someone posted on our Slack the Slate.com article from Marissa Martinelli reporting on the story and interviewing the person behind Dracula Daily, which is this newsletter that has become a sort of viral sensation where he basically, Matt Kirkland, who is the brainchild of this newsletter, basically sends stories like pieces of Dracula And, you know, it's an epistolary novel, so it's, like, letters. And so he's sending those letters on the day they are actually written in the book. So people receive pieces of the book, the letters from the book, on a day that coincides with the day the letter was written, which is kind of, like, an obvious idea, as Mm. he mentions in this interview, that is just, like... I've just never seen it done. It's like one of those things where you're like, wow, this is like, of course, why wouldn't you do that? And you're like, nobody has done it before. So I just thought it was really fun to read about why Kirkland decided to do this, to hear about listener response to this. And I haven't even dived into the hashtags that are out there for this, basically (laughs) making fun of Dracula and making fun of the characters and, you know, this thing that, um, like, Jonathan Harker being unable to take paprika, the spice, like, pizza. It's so... I was just laughing reading the interview, and I know if I got into those hashtags, I would be beside myself. Did you? Did this make you feel like you uh, needed to sign up for Dracula Daily? Yes, it did. And it was, <laughs> I had the same, like, journey as you did where I heard about it, and I was like, so what is it? So it's like, they're talking about the history of Dracula? Like, what is it? And it yeah. was literally just the novel. And I was like, okay. I mean, that's cute. <laughs> but then, you know, reading about it, I was like, oh, no, wait, that is actually pretty cute. And it's funny. Um, yeah. I did see the quote about paprika giving someone queer dreams. And it yes! was. <laughs> and yes, um, it's such it is such a really good idea um, to break it up like that, like make it immersive and send people the letters like on the day um, that they were meant to be sent or like their date or whatever and also yeah. to make fun of that like really like i don't know how would you even in today by today's standards it's i guess very like just verbose writing yes and interesting phrases like queer dreams from eating paprika yeah um, queer meant something very different uh yes. it still does it could mean the same you know unusual i guess mm-hmm. definition but yeah, it, it's I I just feel like this is kind of genius. I, I think mm-hmm. what particularly struck me is that it's it's hard to get people to actually read classics because I yeah. think a lot of us, you know, who went to school and were forced to read the classics 
really did not appreciate those books. And in a lot of cases, like, there are all sorts of arguments I could raise for, like, well, of course, they were all, like, a lot of them that you read in school were, like, written by white men and there wasn't a lot of diversity and stuff like that. And so there is that. And I hope that something – Something else happens with this style of introducing Mm. people to classics where, you know, we see some more diverse reads. But the idea of, like, using creativity to get people to read in general, one of the um, interview questions, uh, one of the responses Kirkland uh, had in here was talking about how other people have been creative with getting people to read and also just incorporating books into daily life. Um, And he was talking about this one person who put paragraphs, like a paragraph a day of Moby Dick into her daughter's lunchbox. And I was like, (sighs) there are so many creative ways to, you know – share stories that might otherwise be passed up. I never want to read Moby Dick. Let me get that uh, (laughs) right out there. I don't want to read that book. Hard pass. Yeah, but also super creative. I will say it was super creative. I would probably choose a different book. That's me. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I Funny on Moby Dick, I never had to read it in school, but I was roommates with an English major and she had to read it. And uh, <laughs> heavy, heavy sigh, heavy. I was size an English, English major. Lit. You yes. were, yes. Bless. So Bless. I feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, like you know, you know, majors like that, and like you know, getting a master's or a PhD in it can really suck the joy out of reading. But yeah. what was cool was that Alice never left the house. And we were both very introverted, so we would talk about it. And it made it really interesting. I was like, oh, I didn't know Moby Dick was like, there were different, like, levels. Like you said, I was never interested in reading it. I was like, oof. Yeah. Um, so he chases a whale, girl, I guess. I mean. I know. But then she started talking about Queequeg, and he kind of had spoiled. I mean, Moby Dick is old, so I'm going to spoil it. Like, it doesn't he, matter, she, yeah. I still didn't, yeah. I still haven't read it, but I remember what it was about from her telling me about it and us discussing it. And I just remember, I was like, oh, so it's not as dry as it sounds. She was like, Queequeg. And he was talking about Queequeg was fine. I was like, oh, okay. Oh my God. And you know, what? so like, um, who was like the headhunter or whatever. And there were a lot of just like, there were some, you know, darker over- undertones about something that might've happened in childhood. And I was like, oh, oh wow. Moby Dick. Yeah, there was kind of like, I remember a scene where I'm not going to get too far from this. This is not like super relevant to SF. <laughs> yeah, but there was a scene just talking about like getting excited about classics that are, you know, kind of seen as being dry. Yeah, there, yeah. There was a scene where um, she was telling me about, she was like, oh, I feel kind of funny reading this. And it was basically mm-hmm. like the main character was like a child and he was asleep. And at night there was a a man hovering over him or something like that. Ooh, and boy. just all together, I'm obviously paraphrasing. No. All together, it was like, hmm, very ominous. But anyway. Ooh. I mean, and then there were the pages full of, like, describing seafaring life, which are super dry. But all of that to say is, I agree with you. I think that, um, I think that people who really love literature and really love classics, I feel like they find a way to make them enjoyable to other people like I feel like that extends um to students so while I think we do need to diversify the classics canon I think like for high schoolers I feel like we should give them different things like we should show them you know like the classics by the old white people and then you know some more modern things and then some graphic novels and all that good stuff I feel like just yeah. like a more rounded approach would be nice. But I do really like how this is creative and I feel like there I feel like it would only serve like readers to um see more ways that literature like I one last point on that. I remember reading okay. The Count of Monte Cristo when I was like ten because I saw the movie and I loved it. 
That book is really good. Yes. I mean, that, yeah, book, that is book is actually, actually really, really good. good. It's actually very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually very good. Actually, he's a person of color now that I think about it. It is. It is. Yeah. Alexander Dumas. Yeah. He is a person of color. Yeah, he uh, is. So go and pick up, even if you, that's <laughs> not SMF, but, you know, it's a good book is all we're going to say. And it's if you want to read uh, Dracula Daily, I believe it's still ongoing. It's the second year of it, I think. And it'll go on till November. And then the epilogue may be out seven years from now. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. no. Yes. So just a note, just a note. Uh, but <laughs> I thought that that there. was a, a fun story to kick us off. Why don't you take uh, take us to the next one? Okay, so the 57th Annual Nebula Awards happened. Exciting. And there were some winners. Um, a weird, the Nebula Award for Novel was a master of gin by p jelly clark which is yes yes i love it (laughs) and which is super fitting for this episode too because that's that's a like yeah mystery so it's very fitting very timely i should say (laughs) (laughs) um i loved it and i like um i really love the the world that that um that he created in there um it was really fun and I love City and all that. I haven't read... Hmm, I've read... I've also read A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger, which won the Andre... Sorry, Andre Norton Nebula Award for Middle Grade and Young Adult Fiction. I haven't yes. read any of these other ones. Have you read um, some of these, Sharifa? I have not. I have not. And I was like, wow, I need to get on it. And also, uh, so the Nebula Award for Novella went to And What We and What Can We Offer You Tonight by Premi Mohammed. And I, as most listeners out there, I think people who have been with the show for a while probably know I love a novella. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually end up reading a lot of novellas from Tor because they just publish so many. Yeah. So I was really excited to see this publisher, Neon Hemlock. And I went to go look them up because I was like, yes, I need more novellas. And mm-hmm. I need to like, you know, expand my horizons when it comes to publishers. And so this is a Washington, D.C.-based small press, and they publish speculative fiction, zines, and queer chat books, which is super cool. That is um, really cool. So I was just really excited to get to know this small press, and I'm really glad that this book won the award for novella. I can't wait to read it. Um, but yeah, I haven't read the short story, which is mm-hmm. Where Oaken Hearts Do Gather by Sarah Pinsker, and that was in Uncanny, very popular um, publication. And I mean, the rest of it, like, I've watched WandaVision, I guess. You yes, know? I have too, actually. <laughs> I forgot about that. I watched that as well. <laughs> I actually, I enjoyed WandaVision. I liked like, it. I thought it was fun and kooky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to, I was like scrolling through this. So I, I don't always like look down at the other awards that like, I haven't been doing a lot of gaming recently, but I looked at the Nebula Award for game writing. And firstly, the name of this game caught my eye, <laughs> Thirsty Sword Lesbians. I was like, that is the best. Like That's that- pretty good. And then I, I was like, it. I know this person who wrote this, Joniah Kemper. Mm-hmm. I was like, I used to know her. I used mm-hmm. to know her in L.A. Back in the day, uh, we had a mutual friend, Justina, and Joniah um, would usually, like, we were all in, like, the kind of goth and nerdy subculture out there. Yes. And I was just so happy for Joniah. She's one of... A few people um, who wrote for this game. And now I just feel like I have to check out Thirsty Sword Lesbians for all sorts of reasons. It's just amazing. I mean, with that title, I mean. 
it's I just feel like we all have to i mean i have to send it to people i mean yeah <laughs> exactly exactly i love it yes but i'm definitely adding a few of these things to like i need to read that novella and the short story like you said but yes i like the other things that have been on here that i have experience with so fun times the nebula awards yeah and now that's a segue for my one (laughs) awkward news story and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this news story but i did want to mention it because it happened and it was much conversed about Mm -hmm. um in SFF Twitter especially, but for the Nebula Conference, SFWA, which is the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, of which I am a member, I should note, um, sent out this email, and I got the email, I believe, over the weekend, and I was like, wait, what's going on? And uh, the statement was about the removal of Mercedes Lackey from the Nebula Conference, so... They had the Nebula Conference, and there was a panel romancing sci-fi and fantasy. Mercedes Lackey was on that panel, and she used a certain word that I'm not going to say on the panel. And so SFWA responded by removing her from the conference. And I know in the past we talked about – I believe we talked about another – uh, comment made by Mercedes Lackey that um, was uh, not great. Mm. It was not good. It was about the trans community. And I, I mm. can't even remember what that was, but I remember that there was big conversation about it and it came up again because this is kind of the second time this happened. Um, and the thing I saw mostly and was following was um, a thread from one of the panelists, the, the only, I believe, black panelist uh, in romancing sci-fi and fantasy. And this is a young uh, black woman. I believe she said that um, she was described as young and she was like, yeah, I am young. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> she's like, okay, I'm like in my 30s, but okay, I am young. Yeah. But um So she was commenting basically about how it took her out, like hearing that word um, really bothered her in a way that was difficult to deal with, especially on a panel where you're in this space where like, how do you respond to that in the moment? Like, do you correct somebody? What do you do? So I was just like, I really felt for this panelist and... Um, it was kind of like a cloud over the conference, but you know, that's what happened. And, um, I really hope the panelist, this panelist who I'm not talking, I'm not naming her because I don't know if she wants like attention brought to her Twitter thread and things like that. Like I didn't ask explicit, like specifically, like, can I use your name in this? So I'm not going to, um, Mm -hmm. but I hope that she, isn't discouraged from going on other panels and um it was kind of like a a bleh moment so yeah yeah that happened (laughs) yeah I feel like with um writers I feel like writers would know the importance of words more than anyone yeah so I feel like um you know what's the phrase i always hear about you could have kept that to yourself for for like it wouldn't it would have been free for you not to say that like it wouldn't oh yeah i know what phrase (laughs) i'm like missing the phrase how it said on black twitter is much funnier and more you know (laughs) concise but just imagine that i said that nicely basically um (laughs) there's no no one is saying like what the author said no one is using that phrasing um anymore and while it's it might be close to like other phrasing that is like current. It's still like, again, like I said, as an author, as a writer, you've been writing for a long time. Um, you know, you wouldn't understand the, the um, significance of words. And yeah. also it's not cool to like, that's like now this black panelist has to like be taken out of, like you said, be taken out of the moment. 
and Mm -hmm. think like, oh, should I like, you know, stand up for everyone? Why do I have to always, you know, not all I, but like, do I have to argue? Like, why should I be put in that position? So it's just a really funky position to be put in. And it was very easily avoided. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, why don't we talk about, I'm glad you have this trailer in here to kind of uplift the mood Mm. at the end of the news and talk about Thor, which I have thoughts about, but I'll leave them for after you talk about You have thoughts? Okay. Not bad ones. Not bad ones. (laughs) I was like, but I was wanted to hear, I was like, oh, what did I miss Sharifa tell me? No, Um, it's just about Thor in general. So you go on. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So. I'm so the trailer for Thor Love and Thunder dropped and Christian Bale is in it and he's looking real crunchy and <laughs> um nasty honey. He is like Oh wow. Gore the God Butcher. Gore and Thor, I guess. Bars rhyming. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um but yeah, he looks real nasty and sinister. And I love, I like Marvel movies. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, they're fun, good time. Like, the acting is, you know, good. The production, I mean, I don't have to make a case for Marvel movies. They make buku bucks in the um, Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, it's a good, like, I don't get too, like, deep in them. But this one, Natalie Portman is Jane Foster, and she's got the hammer. Thor tries to get it, and the hammer's like, not for you, sis, Mm -mm. and goes to Natalie instead. And so we have, ooh, what's her name? Tessa Thompson returns as Valkyrie. And um, I believe Taika Waititi is directing. He can't do any wrong. I don't know. I don't know what he, what sacrifice he might sacrifice something to some god. I don't know. All his stuff is funny and great. Um, All of it's great. Um, The last one movie was super fun. He directed it. He kind of like resurrected it, I feel. Resurrected Thor. Oh, yeah. You know, basically. Yes. So um, what our flag means death, what we do in the shadows. Oh, I love what we do in the shadows. He, he just drops bangers. I don't know. He's yeah. Great. So <laughs> it looks well, fun and I'm excited. Yeah, that's what I was. You, you hit the nail on the head. That was what I was going to say. Originally, I... When the first movie came out um, featuring Thor, I was just like, I have no interest Mm. in this character. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not really into just watching some beefcake swing a mallet around or whatever. Like, (laughs) a meat tenderizer. What is he grilling? (laughs) I'm like, a meat tenderizer, crab cracker. Like, I don't. I'm not interested unless yeah. he's like talking about recipes for like crab boils and things like that. No thanks. Summer is coming up. Summer is exactly. coming. Exactly. Like. Yes. Summer is, <laughs> Summer is, is coming. Summer is coming. Yeah. <laughs> but now, like, yeah, it's so much more. I think that the Marvel movies definitely got more fun as time yeah. went on. And Thor, like, as a character that we didn't have to like take super seriously yeah. and who was kind of a buffoon, kind of a himbo, which is a word yes. I learned from a rioter, a very young rioter who I was like, I was like, I don't know the cool words anymore. I'm not like hip at this point, but I was like, okay, himbo. That is a perfect <laughs> word for Thor. Yes. Um. So now I'm actually like I would not have been excited or interested in this movie, but also the name of it is like perfect. It tells mm-hmm. me everything I need to know about the tone of this movie, and I'm here yes. for it. Is what yes. I'm saying. So here yeah. for it, and I just <laughs> say how they changed the seriousness of Thor, and like in the first two Thor movies uh-huh. into something comical was like pretty genius. I feel. So good, so. right? Yes. I even like yeah. the poster. The poster is giving like it's a little retro. It's colorful. There's some like sparkles. It's yeah, a fun they love time. That retro. It I is. Love that, yeah. It's a fun time. I'm excited. Should be Me fun. too. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see it. We'll report back on yeah. whether it was fun or not. Uh, and so now we're about to talk about our mystery picks. But before we do, I'm gonna tell you about our next sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so SFF Mystery. I can't wait to hear about these picks. I have been really far behind on reading both of your picks. So why don't Mm -hmm. you kick us off and tell us about your first book? So my first one is Murder in G Major by Alexia Gordon. And it's about a Black American violinist um, who has such an interesting name. I feel like I have to give a cat this name or something. Um, Random facts. Um, Her name is Gethsemane Brown. I'd never heard of that before. Apparently it's in the Bible, but there we go. So that's cool. So she basically, um, she gets stranded in Ireland. Um, She's supposed to go to the village school to start teaching she had like basically given up her life in America for reasons. And she's kind of like basically taking this job and, um, she's, you know, just going to see how it works out. She's like a super talented violinist and she is just basically like that girl. So mm. the, so she goes to this really, you know, she's in this like really charming Irish village kind of out the way. And she starts to rent this um, this cottage by this person who actually is, like, driving her. She, she finds out that the cottage is or was the home of this really famous composer who died years and years ago. His name is Eamon McCarthy. And he had lived there with his wife, Orla, who was a poet, And um, before he died, it was suspected that he had killed his wife. So it's like, you know, spooky vibes, um, you know, like a bad, you know, a dark cloud kind of hangs over Mm. his name, despite his, you know, well, not despite. He is really a really talented composer and people think he killed his wife. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, of course. Uh. So, (laughs) obviously. So... She gets to the cottage and she's like preparing to um, become this teacher at the boys school. She's, you know, going to be their music teacher. And um, she starts to realize that uh, there's a ghost 
um, things are, there's sounds, he's talking, he's like, he appears and he has this like colored aura and stuff. And, um, so basically he begs her to reopen the case of his wife's murder because even though he's dead, he wants to clear his name. Um, and she's like, no, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) no, uh, this is, you know, that sounds wild. It's a little out of my pay grade, but she eventually does get into it and she starts to, um, investigate it, you know, some amateur sleuthing and whatnot. She is definitely not experienced in it. Um, but she starts to ask the local police to like reopen the case and they're like, no, that was a while ago. It's solved. He killed her. Why do you care? Basically you're American. What are you, what are you even doing? And, um, he's pressing her at home, you know, and (laughs) well at his house, which he's dead, but it's kind of his nephew's house. But anyway, so she (laughs) decides to go just, you know, get some clues to make them reopen the case. It's like, okay, if I can prove to you that there's more to it than, than you think, you know, they'll reopen it. So the police officer is fun. He's like, He's a little, um, he's a little like grumpy and he starts, the more she visits him, she, he's like, oh, you again. Oh my God. And what's great is I listened to a lot of this on audiobook and the, the accents were, were awesome. I uh, told my friend, I was good. like, I might have to go to Ireland. I don't know. This sounds very yeah. cute. This is a very <laughs> cute, like cozy, like, you know, I'm like, they're talking about all these nice bougie things that I don't understand, like fancy music. I don't understand it, but it sounds nice, you know? And, um, and, uh, he ends up like composing. I think this is not too much of a spoiler, but he like composes a new song for her. She's trying to help the boys win at a, um, a music competition. And she's like, well, you know, if you wrote this for me, then we would win. That's an aside. But anyway, it's really (laughs) fun. I will say, I don't know that I cared for, her accent in the audiobook. Obviously, if you read it, um, you won't have to uh, listen to it. Listen but to that, yeah. I, I didn't care for her accent because she's Black American from the South, and I'm like, I'm that's what I am, and I yeah, and, th- and it's not that that's what I am, so I'm bothered by it. It was it was just off. But the Irish mm. accents were fabulous. They were very cute. I I um um it was a little off her accent, but it wasn't like super terrible. But anyway. So, um, and it's, this is a great, it's a great, like, you can, you know, try to, I know you mentioned before, you're not always good with, like, guessing who it, who it, who it was. So you can, like, (laughs) (laughs) I overthink, I'll be like, okay, well, this obvious it is this person. So that means it can't be that person. But what if that's, like, too, you know? Yeah. So (laughs) this definitely has, this is, this is, like. Basically, like, for me, it felt like a cozy mystery. I felt like I was, like, in a small town in Ireland. Um, I love Gethsemane's, um, I love her as a character. She's fun. I've read, like, many, I've read a few of these books in this series. I think maybe, like, four, at least. Oh, wow. Yeah. I put some time in. So. Okay. It was fun. I still feel like the first one is kind of, like, the best one. Um, it was just really fun. I really liked it. You've got the ghosts, you've got music, you've got Ireland, you've got, you know, little Irish quips. Those are fun. And they're cursing in, in their local, you know, Irish, they're speaking Gaelic. And it's fun. I liked it. It was fun. <laughs> so again, that's Murder in G Major by Alexia Gordon. Also just check out the whole series. So. I... I'm glad you said the name out loud because I've definitely seen that book around and that name and was 100% pronouncing it wrong in my head. It's just like the longest name you've ever seen. Yes. So, but I love that name. I will not steal it for my future pet, but (laughs) I will be jealous of your future pet with that name. I I think I only knew because I listened to the audio book because I was like, how do you spell that? It doesn't really look how it's spelled, I feel. This is why audiobooks are so great. Uh, Yes, they come in clutch, those pronunciations. 
Speaking of which, my first pick I listened to on audio as well, and it's a science fiction murder mystery, and it's Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty, and Mer Lafferty actually is the narrator for mm. the book, which always nice. seems super courageous to me as the writer yeah. because I would not want to read my own words again. <laughs> I would always be like, I could have written that sentence yeah. better, but... She's not she's not messed up by it. She does a great job narrating this book, um, which is set in a ship sailing through space. And this is a mystery novel through and through. My next pick is a little bit like on the edge of mystery, and I'll talk about mm -hmm. that later. But in this book, we get characters with mysterious backstories, a scattering of clues and suspicions. And then, of course, we get that fantastic high stakes whodunit at the heart mm -hmm. of the story. Um, I didn't even try to guess this time. I was just like, <laughs> I'm just going to go along for the ride and yeah. like watch them struggle and enjoy myself. <laughs> Because that's how, that's how that I do. That sounds so funny. <laughs> just watch y'all. Y'all try. I'm going to just watch y'all. You can scramble around that spaceship. I'm going to be here just enjoying the journey uh, from afar. So this book does have a couple of content warnings. I'm not going to be discussing them in my description of the book because a couple of them are I think one of them's a, a, something of a giveaway, but mm -hmm. the warnings are for ableism and suicide. So yeah, I won't be discussing that here, but just to note if you pick up the book. So we have six members, six crew members, and they are all clones. They are clones who wake up from their holding tanks, which already sounds like a miserable experience. It's like, yeah. you know, you see... Like, I think of the Matrix and, like, yes. having, like, weird liquid down your mm. lungs and coughing. Like, it's already ugly coming out mm -hmm. of there. And to make matters worse, they come out of these holding cells with, like, blood and gore all over the place. Their own bodies in terrible states, like their previous bodies, because these people are clones of their other selves um this is just mm. the way things are and their um other bodies lives were ended in various ways so in this future cloning is a normal and developed science there is this whole history and backstory about the origins of human cloning like there are hackers who manipulated cloning science and they talk about how cloning affected humankind's relationships with their own bodies. Like you can imagine, mm. death suddenly stops being such a, you know, yeah. horrible high stakes thing. Violence against, like you could take revenge against your enemy and it's just like, okay, well, you stabbed me in the back yesterday and I'm popping up anew today, yeah. like with all my memories and stuff. So... They I talk a lot about that. Do well with that. Oh no! <laughs> we don't need that. Oh no! We don't need that. We don't need that. And yeah. I mean, the good thing about this is that, like in this book, that is talked. It's not. It's messy, and they talk about mm -hmm. how messy it was, and like there was also this weird golden era that had all sorts of layers of bad. Even though people thought of it as a golden, it was. It's a lot. There are a lot of layers to that onion, as you might imagine with cloning. Um. But yes. in the story's present mm -hmm. day, this crew aboard the Dormir, the ship, they're all bound for a better world, this planet Artemis. Um, and on Artemis, all of their varied and questionable records will be scrubbed clean. So that is, mm. they've got their eye on the prize, and that prize <laughs> is having their records expunged and, like, yeah. moving on with their lives. But... Of course, they've got to get there alive first, and their prospects are not looking too hot. So the crew was supposed to have been protected during this long sleep. They have this AI, Ian, who is supposed to be the best of the best. But, of course, even Ian wasn't impervious to all of these horrors that were bestowed by whoever went on this bloody rampage and murdered everybody. And so because Ian is also recovering from this interference, they have no record of who did the deed. Their restored memories don't extend to that place in time. There's like 
They don't know who did it. They just know it's one of them, one of the six of them, maybe more of them. Who knows? They don't have any clue. So everyone suspects everyone. Everyone is hiding something. And, you know, we've got the captain, the second in command, the junior maintenance officer. We've got these people who are on the ship as staff. Um, and so they're each working to piece together the puzzle of what happened to them individually and as a group. And they don't even know if they're to blame because of their memories. Like, they don't know if they mm. did it. And so, of course, when they stumble upon clues that sort of cast them in a bad light, they're not going to share that stuff with the crewmates. Yeah. Like, nah. it just makes things really difficult. And on top of that, they're racing against the clock because they don't have the capacity on the ship at this point to create new clones of themselves. So if wow. this murderous person is still on the loose among them and, you know, targets them again, then they don't have any way of coming back. There is no clone for them to come back to at that point. So True death. Whew, it's a lot. I don't want to hmm. be on that ship ever. Mm -mm. I... I'm like, I don't want cloning to happen. Like, this yeah. book has made me, I was already horrified of space and people <laughs> being suspicious. Like, yeah. it's like looking at my windows. So it's great. Yeah. As a reader, you're also getting to solve the mystery. If you like that sort of thing, using clues that pop up, hearing about their backstories and... It's just a really good, fast-paced mystery with lots of layers and likely suspects. So definitely check out Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty if that is your jam. That sounds really good. And it's kind of similar. It has some things in common with the next book I'll talk about, which is mm, yeah. Far From the Light of Heaven by Tade Thompson. And... Um, I've never read anything by Toddy Thompson before. I know he had the, I think, the Rosewater series. I yeah, that was called. good. Yeah, I heard that was good. That's on my so list, but good. I have not read it yet. Um, this one is similar to Six Weeks because it it follows um, first mate on this ship called Ragtime. Uh, her name is Shell or Michelle Shell Campion. And she is an astronaut, basically, and she's kind of like, you know, kind of following in her father's footsteps. Her father disappeared like all these years ago. He was declared dead. I say that because that's kind of a, you know, point in the story and relevant to like her identity, I guess, basically. So she is supposed to be, like I said, the first mate on this ship called the Ragtime. And the Ragtime is meant to journey to this colony called Bloodroot. And it's in like this system called the Lagos system. So Lagos, if you're not familiar, is in Nigeria. And so there are these really cool like Nigerian elements. Um, my father is Nigerian. So I was getting my life. I was like, oh, this is familiar to me. I don't speak. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't speak the language. Or I think Tade, Tade is Nigerian. But yeah. I don't speak the language or anything. But I really liked um, throughout they would have like, so, you know, with a lot of um, countries and people of color who speak English and still speak their own language, it kind of becomes, the two languages kind of become married. Mm -hmm. um, and so there were these cool elements, like, by cool elements, I mean, uh, language wise, where they would, they were speaking in English, but then they would have like, like an Igbo or Yoruba, like I said, I don't speak the language, exclamation at the end. So I thought that was cool. So anyway, the ragtime, the ship that Shell is on is going to Bloodroot to basically start over. And it's interesting in Six Wakes, it the ship was called Dormir, which I think means yeah. sleep in some language, um, yes. probably Spanish, I think. And um, I'm not fluent, obviously. <laughs> you are correct, glasses. though. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, um, the just like with Six Wakes and Dormir, um, they're the people on the ragtime ship are asleep, um, and 
there are about like a thousand people and they're going to, you know, they're off to like start a new life in this colony and this new system. And um, basically while they're sleeping, Michelle goes to sleep as well. They're going to be asleep for 10 years. And while they're sleeping, um, the AI of the ship will take care of them. So, all right, cool. And her position is kind of like not, there's not much to it. She's just like, I guess the human in charge basically, but the AI is supposed to run everything. Everything is supposed to run smoothly. They're going to keep everyone alive and they're going to move through space to Bloodroot. Okay. So she wakes up after 10 years, which is such an interesting way to start a book. It's like, okay, it starts <laughs> off with her kind of training to be an astronaut and she's eating this nasty astronaut food or whatever. Ugh. And then, yeah. And then she's like, oh, well, I guess I'm going and, you know, we'll see. And then the next page has been 10 years. It's like, okay, that is dedication that I don't know. Like you said, being scared of space. I'm like, I don't know if I can yeah, do all that's that. Not I'll for watch me. y'all. That's not, not for me. I'll watch you struggle from a distance. Yeah. So <laughs> she wakes up after 10 years and she wakes up to dismembered bodies. Um, Like around like 31 people are missing from where they should be. And the body in the the scene is like gruesome. It's like people are cut up and stuff like that. The thing is, they're they're now orbiting Bloodroot, which is where they're supposed to land, but they have to get clearance first before they land. And there's no one else on the ship, as far as she knows. It's been closed. They've been traveling for ten years, and she wakes up to all these bodies. So she sends this kind of like covert code to Bloodroot, and she masks it so. Because she doesn't know, like, what's going on, who's there, and how this happened. So she masks it in a way where she kind of says, I think she said something like, um, there's a contamination, like, disease-wise, that um, she gave this code that, like, oh, you know, there was a murder. So Bloodroot, down on Bloodroot, we have this investigator named Rashid Finn, who is also scared of space. And he messed up back in the day. So he's he hasn't been working for a while. So they're like, okay, we're going to send Rashid because he's kind of a mess. So if it messes up, we can just be like, Rashid is messy, you know, <laughs> basically. So we're like covering. <laughs> Rashid is a messy girl. You know, we didn't even mm-hmm. know. She hadn't been working. You know, she rusty. So it's such like, it's such a weird situation that they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So they call Rashid in and Rashid is like, are you sending me out there because I'm messy? And they're like, yes, girl. <laughs> Deal. Ooh, <laughs> so um, real talk for real. It's like, yes, if if, if this all goes wrong because they don't know, they don't know Michelle. They're like, oh, um, and there's this, you know, people always like to separate each other. Um, there's a difference in the people that are from Earth, like Michelle and the people who are. Um, who've been living out in space in these colonies. So they're like, we don't know what's up with her. She talking in code. This, that, and the third is going on. So we don't know what this is. Let's see. Let's send Rashid and see what he has to say. So they send him out. He goes with his artificial partner, Salvo. And um, they start to investigate. And then, of course, suspicion is on her because as far as they know, there's no one else out there and then there are some like politics involved um and this they they want it to avoid becoming a thing as politicians do so they're kind of there's like a meeting you know different characters at play there's a meeting and um they're kind of trying to figure out what to do with everything and one of the um, governors, um, he's he's older and he's a retired astronaut and people kind of like don't consider him because he's older, um, which he takes advantage of. So basically, um, he decides to go out there because he actually knew Michelle's father back in the day, the father that disappeared. And he... Um, takes his daughter, Joke, who kind of insists um, to go. She's an interesting one. She's actually, like, got some interesting parentage. I won't spoil that. So they all go out there, and basically they're, they, um, 
they're all out there trying to figure out what happened. Um, oh, I should say too, how the bodies were, they were kind of like all cut up and like on top of each other. Like Finn, Rashid Finn, sorry, Finn is Rashid. Finn and his um, AI partner, they had to kind of like put the bodies back together to figure out who was murdered Ew. basically so that was super gruesome i was like oh, you didn't into that was really gross and then in doing that they found out that some parts were missing so that's another mystery it's like not only it's clear that the robots killed the people that's no that's no uh mystery the thing is who programmed them to because they don't act those kind of robots don't act of their own on their own rec- on accord um, AI like uh, Salvo, who is Finn's partner, they act on their own accord and they have like rights and stuff like that. But the little bots that, you know, fix things and take care of things on the ships, they don't. So someone programmed them to chop all these people up. And um, what's more, some people are missing. So then that's like a, you know, what's going on moment. So they're all in the ship. They kind of have to take care of one emergency after the other um joke lawrence's daughter who lawrence again was um michelle's father's friend i know that's a lot of like kind of a thing to follow but she has these interesting kind of like like she visits these planes different planes and stuff but anyway okay so it has a lot of different elements um i thought it was cool it was interesting i realized in reading this i had another book that i wanted to mention but i didn't mention it because it's been mentioned recently so i was like let me find another one and i realized i haven't read as many science fiction books i feel like i tend to gravitate towards fantasy so this is really interesting um i believe it's i believe he said it was based off of edgar Allan poe's the murders in the rue morgue it's like a closed mystery similar to six wakes like I said, there are yeah. m- many parallels to Six Weeks, but it was cool. It was it was interesting. Um, I don't feel like you'll have as many clues as like say in the Gethsemane Brown series, but it's it's a fun journey. So again, that's Far from the Light of Heaven by Tati Thompson. Uh, well, space is a murder vacuum, um, <laughs> basically. But I'm gonna bring us back to Earth. Uh, where more terrible things are happening with my final pick, which is the sort of mystery-adjacent, I suppose I will call it, fantasy title. Uh, And it's not really fantasy, actually. It's gothic horror uh, with supernatural elements, so it's not fantasy. Uh, But this is a bit of a cheat. Like I said, it's not straight-up mystery, but I am arguing for it because our protagonist absolutely works in the vein of an amateur sleuth. Out That's to solve true. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's trying to solve a very mysterious and grave problem. And I did love that part. Of, like some parts of the way she acted, like it sort of reminded me of a Nancy Drew type. Um, but so much better also. So Noemi is this great socialite, whining and dining and just generally being a great party guest in her beloved Mexico City. And this is 1950s Mexico City. So Noemi is also a bit of a wild child, especially for her times. She kind of enjoys and claims what liberation she can get as a young woman of her time. But then Noemi is taken away from this glamorous life by a letter from her cousin Catalina. And Catalina, who is less wild child and more of a romantic, married this wealthy man a while back. And now, out of the blue, they hear from her after some absence. And, you know, the letter can't be read as anything but a cry for help. Noemi has to go leave what she knows to figure out what's happening with her cousin. So Noemi gets to packing. She heads to a place that is such a far cry from her city, and that is High Place. Mm. And High Place is this super bleak castle where everything, like, seems to exist in grayscale, including the Doyles. And their sorry group of 
uh, how the people who live, everybody who lives in this house is kind of miserable. So this is the family Catalina unfortunately married into. And High Place exists in the countryside and it kind of lurks menacingly over this small town. And it's this town the Doyles have a certain kind of history with. Mm. And so Noemi has misgivings about the Doyles from the jump. They really deliver on the heebie-jeebies, especially the patriarch of the family. Oh, my God. Who is yeah. this, ugh, just like. Disgusting. Ugh, creepy crawlies. Just He enjoys discussing eugenics at the dinner table and not as somebody outraged by the very idea of it. Very far from that. Uh, so the Elder Doyle is this person who's kind of steadfast in his commitment to the European bloodline. And of course, as you might imagine, this does not give Noemi much confidence in this family, including his two sons, Virgil, who's Catalina's husband, and his brother Francis. Uh, and the thing about Catalina's marriage to Virgil is that she happens to come from wealth. So mm -hmm. we've got High Place, which is like this crumbling monstrosity. <laughs> and so Noemi's like, okay, what are these people up to? Like, they're obviously like, they need some some cash. And, yeah. you know, Catalina's like stuck in a room somewhere, can't even talk to her. Uh, so it's hard for her not to draw lines, of course, between like what she's seeing here and her suspicions about why Catalina is even part of this family. But of course, the Doyles make it really hard for Noemi to investigate what's really going on by keeping her from her cousin with the excuse that Catalina is seriously ill and delirious. So they're also like casting doubt on Catalina's letters because she, that she's been like feverish and, you know, they'll, they've been saying that she's talking kind of gibberish and she doesn't know where she is or what, what she's at, but... Noemi is not so easily deterred. That's not her nature. That's not her personality. She is determined to follow any clue she finds to figure out why Catalina called for help and what the deal is with the Doyles. And the thing is, there's something strange going on in this house. And mm. this something has a grip on Noemi's dreams and maybe mm. even the house itself. Ugh. So it's this really creepy, atmospheric novel. It delivers on all the classic elements of gothic horror, but with this, you know, fresh setting that you don't get from classic gothic horror. Yeah. And the whole story just takes, like, the Anglo-centrism of classic mm. gothic horror. It turns it on its head. And I just, I loved the way... Uh, Silvia Moreno Garcia transformed the genre in this book. Mm -hmm. Noemi is a dark skinned brown girl in a brown world confronting this Anglo centrism head on. And, you know, the book confronts how white supremacy works to exploit and alienate her people. Um, and she's just a great character. And this is a great story with that air of mystery. So if you're looking for something a little bit on the lighter mystery side, there aren't like a bunch of clues and things, but you're also trying to figure out like what's up with this family, what's up with Catalina, and why, what is this force that exists in this house? Why is Noemi feeling afflicted and like maybe she's suffering from the same things Catalina is? So... It's so good and so creepy, really and I good. wanted to give, yeah, I'm glad you read it. Like, I know it's a little bit creepy, and um, there's some body horror in here. What? Oh, my God. It's like, <laughs> so, toward the end, I was Ooh, like, oh, my goodness, yo, what am what have I gotten into? The end will have you in a vice grip and sling <laughs> you around. Mm -mm. That reveal was wild. I was like, oh, <clears throat> I felt like it was. Yeah, mm. Sylvia had me by the throat. She did. Yeah. Um, with that ending, I really like. I like that you mentioned that because, as someone who likes mystery, um, mystery novels, even yeah. though that's not considered like a hardcore mystery whodunit, there are clues, amateur sleuthing, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. 
that does appeal to the side of me that likes mystery because I'm like, okay, so what's going on? There's a lot of weird stuff. Is the cousin, is the cousin, does she need like mental health care? Is Noemi tripping? Yeah. Wait, no, there's something going on, but what is it? Yeah. So that really appeals to that like that part of me that likes mystery. So it, I feel like it satisfies on that front for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you thought so too. I was like, I'm going to cheat a little, but that's okay because I'm having a realization. Yeah. Having a moment. No, that's real. And I, I would even like, as again, someone who likes mystery, I would definitely be like, Oh, I'd be intrigued. That book, like you were saying, it has, it says a lot of things. Um, It has an interesting analysis of colonialism okay and colorism and all those things Mm -hmm. and the reveal will have you gagging so yes literally literally you will probably (laughs) gag oh my god so (laughs) check it out (laughs) that was sylvia moreno garcia's mexican gothic and that brings us to the end of the show Thank you so much for joining me, Erica. This was a really good time. I had so much. I have to read some more mystery coming out of this podcast. It was really fun. I have to read uh, some more science fiction, but it was fun. Science yeah. fiction mystery. Yes, it yes. was lots of fun. I had fun. I awesome. enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Happy to always. So SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us your thoughts, your ideas, and comments at sffyeah at bookriot.com. If you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps people find us, and this is how we are able to make more content. Uh, You can find us online. Can they find you somewhere, Erica? Yeah, I'd be, like, dipping in and out of Twitter at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. You know, I pop in and out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. I stay far away from Twitter, but you can find Mm. me on Instagram. Yes. at Sina Williams, that's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.